history of Babylon. And, you know, this, like we talked about even at the end of service Saturday, this is not um, an anti-Israel, anti-Jewish thing at all because it, it seems like anytime you say anything negative against Israel, it becomes your anti-Semitic, you know, or, you know, if you're pro-Israel, that means you're anti-Palestinian, you know, or pro-Palestinian, that means you're anti-Israel, and, and it's not the case at all, you know, um, like we talked about, Israel, the Jews have a place in God's heart, you know, um, they have a veil, they're blinded right now, you know, and then, you know, they're going to see and they're going to recognize that the Antichrist is not the Messiah. And they're going to come back to the Lord. And their eyes are going to be open. Whether or not it's going to be all of them, probably won't be all of them. But there will be enough of them, you know. And, yeah, so this is not to bash Israel or anything like that. Because, like I said, I, I know people will get funny. Because it's almost like you talk about Israel and people, Christians, act like you're attacking their faith. And, and it's nothing like that. You know, the Jews, you know, they're people. Uh, Muslims, they're people. Hindus, they're people. You know, they all need God. They all need Jesus Christ. And that's what we have to be under the mindset of. Because even as they don't accept Jesus Christ as the Messiah, they're not saved. Mm -hmm. They're not saved. So if they die, they're no different than anybody else. They're going to go to hell without knowing Christ. And we, we you know... We have to understand that, and we have to get them the truth, just like the Muslims need the truth. All right, so, you know, it's like I talked about a lot, uh, I think I said at the end of service Saturday, that a lot of people think Babylon is, you know, it's going to be New York City, it's going to be the Vatican, Rome, um, I talked about, uh, oh, I think I, I don't know if I said Babylon, but Babylon, but we have to understand, we know it's not going to be Babylon because the scriptures tell us in Isaiah that Babylon will not be inhabited no more. So, and I saying, and even what I'm saying here now doesn't make it gospel neither. Like I said, I don't think I said it during the service, but maybe I said it's a mystery, right? It's a mystery. So there are some things that can be argued either way. And you know what? One of us, uh, theories or points can be right, and then we can all be wrong because that's just how God works. Because God is in control and God, God, God knows truth, you know. So, but I believe we'll we'll, we'll see some things here, you know. Because hey, I, I mentioned Rome and how people think the, you know the Roman Catholic Church will be Babylon because of um, the seven hills. But come to find out when you research things, Rome is not the only place with seven hills. Israel and actually Seattle is also known city of seven hills. Um, there are a few other uh, cities as well. Uh, Athens, Brussels, Barcelona, Moscow, you know, they all that. So we can't just pinpoint one thing in that. But like I said, we can all be wrong as far as what place is Babylon. But one thing I am pretty confident saying, it's not going to be some mysterious Babylon that's going to come up because the scriptures tell us that Babylon will not be inhabited again. All right. So. The Bible is clear that the, that the Israel of God is not any modern nation or state. All right. So how, how do we know this? Because Paul, when he writes to the Galatians church, he calls them the, um, the Israel of God. And the Galatian church was a Gentile church. They wasn't, they, you know, the Jews were trying to get them to conform by basically through them getting circumcision and things like that. But he calls them 
And, and that's pretty interesting. And then in Romans chapter 2, he also says this. He says, one is not a Jew outwardly now, but one is a Jew inwardly because it's by faith. And you think about it, you know, the father of many, all, many nations, Abraham, he was called by what? Faith. So even as we accept Christ in our hearts and now we're grafted into the family of God, we actually become Israel as well. Romans, you know, like I said, the Jews are not to be forgotten. Romans 11 talks about that. So y'all can read that. that read, you know, I would say read that whole chapter on your own time. Romans 11 because it gives a good depiction on how the church we were grafted in. But God has not forgotten um, the Jews, Israel, those who were born, at, um, you know, through the loins of Abraham. So Galatians 3, 7 says this. Therefore, know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. So we're of faith. So we are sons of, and daughters of Abraham. So we, like I said, we are considered to be Jews as well because it all starts with Jesus Christ now. So because we are grafted in, because we are born again, because we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are now a part of, by faith, Israel. So it's not about a land, it's not about a nation, so we as a church, we have to get out of that mindset. Um, because, we, you know, I talked about how there are Christian Palestinians over there, and they're suffering. And and I, and I saw a video, um, I think it might have been yesterday, and they were, they were interviewing Palestinian Christians, and they were asking, well, would you, if Israel accepted you back, would you forgive them? And beyond some said no. Some said no, based on what they've done, how they took them from their homeland, you know, whatever. But most said yes, because it is the Christ-like thing to do. And, and that's what we're to do. So it is a problem, you know, Scripture says in Matthew chapter 5 that blessed are the peacemakers. So as Christians, we should be peacemakers. We should not be supporting uh, Israel just because they're Israel. And, you know, Israel does wrong things too. Just like the United States does wrong things. Israel, Russia, China, they all do wrong things because guess what? Leaders are not saved. And guess what? A lot more people, that, there are more people who are not saved in all these nations than they are saved. So there's going to be wickedness going on in there. Alright, so Romans 11, uh, verse 2 and 3 says this, God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew, or do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah? How he pleased with God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. So we're all familiar with that and how, you know, Jezebel and Ahab, they slaughtered the prophets. But God has not forsaken, like I said, Israel. So it's important for us to know that. And yes, we are to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. But like I said, there's this Zionist movement that's going on where they're only giving us one part of the story. And you got people over there, Christians who are suffering. Now, don't get me wrong, the Christian Palestinians, they have it better, per se, than the Muslim um, Palestinians. But when we think about it, is that what Jesus taught? Because I reflected back on the story of the Good Samaritan. The, uh, the lawyer came and he asked Jesus this. He said, and it's in Luke chapter 10 for reference. He says, Master, 
and he's trying to trip Jesus up. And he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And then he, he, Jesus said, well, what's the law say? Then he says, love God with all my heart, my soul, and strength. And to love my neighbor. Alright, so then uh, he says, you know it. And then the man says, well, who is my neighbor? So Jesus goes on and tells the story about the Good Samaritan and how the person gets beat up, robbed, and left on the side of the road. And then a priest comes by first and just leaves him. Then a Levite comes by first and then leaves him. And then the Samaritan comes by. And now remember, the Jews and the Samaritans were like oil and vinegar. They didn't get along. So Jesus says what? No, he, he continues with the parable and he says, um, so the Samaritan takes, takes him, brings him to an inn, pays, cleans him up and everything, and tells the innkeeper, take this and then I'll come back and pay again if, if need be. All right, so Jesus asked, well, who was the neighbor? And he says, the Samaritan. So why that significant? Because the Samaritan, again, was supposed to be the enemy, but the Samaritan did what the priest and the Levite didn't do. So it's, it's interesting, the fact, that how you have Christian Palestinians helping Muslim Palestinians and Muslim Palestinians helping Christians. Because it's like, really, who is our neighbor? Everybody. So we don't point fingers and say, well, just because this one's bound in sin and this one's a homosexual or whatever, because we know according to the Bible, homosexuality and things that are sin. So we don't point the finger and say, well, I'm not going to help them. Or, you know, no, who is our neighbor? It, it is the right thing to do. So we don't, we don't condone some of the things that Israel do, like how they set up a fence. And like I talked about Saturday, I think it was at the end of service, how they cut off their water. And they drove them from their houses that they grew up in. You know, those are things that we're not to condone. You know, we can still not condone things and still be pro-Israel. You know, just like we don't condone things in the United States, but we're still pro-United States. You know, so it's important for us to have that mindset. Okay, so let's jump into this so we can get going. All right, so who is the city of Babylon? So I gave you examples earlier, so I'm, say, I'm not going to say Babylon is all of Israel, but I believe Babylon is Jerusalem. And then we'll, we'll see some ties in this as we go through the scriptures here. Alright, so, in the last days the Antichrist will seek to convince the Jews that their Messiah has finally come. He will seek to make them and the rest of the world think that the kingdom age has begun. So the city of mystery, the city of the mystery of Babylon will be Jerusalem when it embraces the Antichrist as if he was their long-awaited Messiah. The reason that she is referred to as a harlot is the same reason she was referred to as a harlot hundreds of times in Scripture, because she is committing spiritual adultery. So, remember, the Old Testament says that in Hosea, God was married to Israel. So it's just like any other marriage. If, if you, you, you cheat on your spouse, you're committing adultery against your spouse. So anytime Israel followed after other nations, um, idols and things like that, they were committing adultery. And it will be the same way in the end times. Think about this. They're going to follow the Antichrist as their Messiah. So what are they doing? Committing adultery. So they're becoming a harlot. And they're committing fornication. Alright. So, how is the faithful city becoming harlot is what it says. Let, let's turn to Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah 21, beginning at verse. 
Actually, I'll start at 19. Isaiah chapter 1, beginning at verse 19. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword. Verse 21. How the faithful city has become a harlot. It was full of justice, righteousness, lodged in it, but now murderers. Your silver has become dross, your wine mixed with water. Your princes are rebellious and companions of thieves. Everyone loves bribes and follows after rewards. They do not defend the fatherless, nor does the cause of the widow come before them. So these are things that Israel was doing. And the reason why I wanted to start out at uh, 19 and 8, uh, yeah, verse 19 and 20 is, he says here, if you refuse to rebel, you should be devoured by the sword. Okay, now we've seen anytime Israel rebelled against God, God did what? He brought judgment on them, right? So, it's not like he's destroying the people. He always kept the remnant. And you think back, even now when they catch a hold of who the Antichrist is, what did Jesus say in Matthew 24? To flee. To go into the wilderness. So those who will now accept Jesus Christ, those Jews who accept Jesus Christ, they're going to flee Jerusalem. Right? Alright. So, Mystery Babylon is said to kill the prophets in, in uh, Revelation 18 and 24 says that. Yet, the only city that has ever been recorded as killing the prophets in Jerusalem was Jerusalem. Alright, so, let's turn to Matthew 23. Say the words of the King of Kings himself. And we'll go through this chapter a little bit. We'll go up and down. Alright, so, Beginning at verse 37. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets, and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. So, now, Revelation 18.24 says, Babylon, mystery Babylon is going to be the one killing the prophets. What does Jesus say here? Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets. Okay? So, we also have, so he gives an example here. Now, in Matthew 21, he talks about the vine dresser. He gives a parable of the vine dresser. And the vine dresser, he does what? He says, the owner of the vineyard sends the servants, and they do what? They kill the servants. Then the owner of the vineyard sends some more servants, and they do what? They kill the servants again. Then the owner says what? Oh, I'll send my son, because they're going to listen to him. And then they do what? They, they say they're going to kill the son so they can get the inheritance, right? And then once he's done with all that, the religious leaders say this. They say, hey, I think he was talking about us, making that reference to us, hmm. right? And then they wanted to take Jesus right then and there, but because his popularity, they couldn't snatch him off then and there. But again, because they have a habit, Jerusalem has a habit of killing God's people. All right, so... Now, we're in Matthew 23. Let's go up to verse 31. Therefore, you are witnesses against yourselves that you are the sons of those who murdered the prophets. Now, jump to 34. Therefore, indeed, I send you prophets, wise men, and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city. Let's stop right there. So, 
Let's think back to the early church. Remember when Stephen got stoned? Who was standing there? Paul, right? Who was Saul at that time? What did Saul get permission to do? To go persecute the church and imprison the church. They would remember the church at that point, after Stephen's death, they flee Jerusalem. So Saul did what? He went searching for them, right? And then he gets his conversion. Now, after Paul gets converted, he goes from Saul to Paul, he gets converted. Now, he starts going and ministering. If you remember in Acts, what does he do? Every city he goes to, a lot of times it's peaceful until the Jews come. Remember, they're going from city to city, persecuted. Those are the ones coming from Jerusalem, going from city to city. And he was warned not to go back to Jerusalem. Why? Because they were going to kill him. Alright, verse 35. That on you may come all the righteous bloodshed on the earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, uh, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. The true prophets and true preachers of righteousness were persecuted by the Jews. See, so, again, like I said, Stephen was stoned. All he was doing was giving the true history of Israel. And then what did they do? They stoned him. Why? Because they couldn't take the truth. Again, what did he get stoned at? Jerusalem. So, Stephen was a preacher of righteousness and was stoned to death for speaking the truth. And even today, when someone speaks up for speaking the truth, they get stoned. Right? They may get not may not get stoned literally, but they get stoned by words. Right? So, like I've always said, it doesn't take all that. That's wrong. Don't do that. And even what I said at the beginning, that's why I preface this because I'm sure some people are going to have issue with it because they're going to feel like I'm speaking against the Jews and things like that. But that's not the case here. All right. So. We have to know that sin is wrong. We don't condone sin. So we can't, see, and I talked about this a while ago, the church has a habit of going against sin in this country, but overlooking sin in Israel. When did Jesus or God ever do that? He never did that. Right? So if, if God never did that, why do we do it? Why do we think we can do it just because they're Israel? No. They're held accountable just like we are over here in this country, just like they are in Iraq, China, Russia, anywhere else. They're held accountable for that. So we can't overlook that. And what we as a church have done is, especially this Christian Zionist movement, we have overlooked those things. You know, and I talked about it before where Christians here will criticize the homosexuals here, but then overlook the homosexuality going on in Israel. They'll criticize the abortion going on in this country, but then overlook that over there. Knowing it's easier to get an abortion in Israel than it is here. And that the fact that the government, well, they actually don't know that, but the government are funded over there in Israel. But they overlook that. Why? Because it's Israel. And, and they, again, it's these mega ministries that have us deceived and blinded. And the one thing, when you look and you research these things, a lot of our doctrine, like I said before, all comes from the 1800s. And that's years away from where Paul walked the earth. Right? Years away from when Jesus walked the earth. So why do we think we could change this doctrine up from what's in the scriptures? So I would challenge us or anybody just to search the scriptures. And not even go by the commentaries per se. Alright. 
you know, sinners are crying out for the truth. You know, and even in my research, there are churches over there in Israel and other places overseas, and even in this country, where Muslims are getting saved, left and right. So, but if you notice, you know, there's been a movement lately where we group all the Muslims together. We group it all as they're all terrorists, and they're not all that way. You know, so we, we have to be careful of that, and again, who is our neighbor? Who is our neighbor? So, we love them, we don't condone the sin, just like we don't condone the sinners that are out there. We don't, we don't necessarily even condone, you know, the fact that they serve a false god. But if we don't love them and show them the true God, then who will? But if we're pointing the finger at them while they're pointing the finger at us, where does that leave us? How do they get saved? Because we, we, can't, we can't just keep pointing the finger and say, you're wrong and this, and argue back with them. And I noticed that over the last few years, we in the Christian movement have a habit of just arguing and just grouping them all together. Just like they try to group all Christians together, right? Now, we know that's not the case. We know we have different doctrines, you know, different denominations and things like that. And we're not, you know, we're like, well, don't group us with the Catholics, right? We say that, right? Or don't group us with the Lutherans or the Methodists or the Baptists. You know, we say those things, so how's it any different, right? You know, we don't want them to lump us all together as Christians, so we can't lump them all that, oh, they're all out there to blow people up. No, like I said, you have Muslim Palestinians over there helping the Christian Palestinians over there. Again, like Jesus said, the Good Samaritan. Right? They're not being persecuted. They're not, they're not the ones keeping the Christian Palestinians from going to church. Alright. So, the harlot equals Babylon the Great, which equals the great city. So in Revelation 18, and I'm not going to read it, but we, we read it. Actually, I didn't read all of it, but you can go back and read it. In Revelation 18, Babylon is mentioned as the great city five times. It's mentioned great city. All right, so remember that. Let's turn to Revelation uh, chapter 11, where the two witnesses were. Now, what city was Jesus crucified in? Jerusalem. Let me help you. <laughs> so, Revelation chapter 11 is where the two witnesses, we're all familiar with the two witnesses, where God's going to send them, and they're going to minister, and they're going to preach, and they're going to do great signs and wonders for three and a half years. Okay, so Revelation chapter 11, beginning at verse 1, says this. Then I was given a reed like a measuring rod, and the angel stood, saying, Rise and measure the temple of God, the altar, and those who worship there. But leave out the court which is outside the temple, and do not measure it. For it has been given to the Gentiles, and they will tread the holy city underfoot for forty-two months. And I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy one thousand two hundred and sixty days, clothed in sackcloth. That's basically three and a half years. Verse 4. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of the earth. And if anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds out of their mouth and devours their enemies. And if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. Verse 6. These have the power to shut heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy. And they have power over waters to turn them to blood and to strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire. Verse 7. 
When they finish their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them, overcome them, and kill them. So let's stop right there. So the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit. So I talked about this Saturday that the Antichrist is going to get assassinated and then come back to life, right? So we know at this point now that's at that typical point where that's after he comes back to life now because he says the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit. So he's talking about the Antichrist after he comes back to life. Okay. Again, Jesus was crucified in Jerusalem. All right, verse 8. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city. Alright, so remember that. We talked about that in Revelation 18. Which spiritually is called Sodom, which means immorality, and Egypt, which is idolatry, where also our Lord was crucified. Then those from the people's tribes, tongues, and nations will see their dead bodies three and a half days and not allow their dead bodies to be put in the grave. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them, make merry, and send gifts to, to one another because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. So now, they're going to rejoice because these two prophets were dead. But what were these two prophets talking about? Things of God. So they didn't want to hear the things of God. It's kind of like today. People don't want to hear the things of God. But, there, like I said, there are people out there who are hurting. Those who have been victimized by physical assault, sexual assault, they are crying for help. And, and they, they're in need of help. And we as a church, we have to be the ones to reach out to them. Because, like I said, we may be the only Christ that they see. Alright. Uh, so, that great city, Jerusalem, is not at this point. The dwelling place for demons. So Roman, uh, excuse me, Revelation 18, 2, we read that on Saturday, how Babylon is going to be a place of dwelling place for demons. And we may wonder, well, how can Jerusalem be a place, dwelling place for demons? Well, remember, who's going to be in charge at that time? The Antichrist. Remember, so Jerusalem is supposed to be the seat where God is, Christ is. So now you push him out, <laughs> and now the Antichrist is sitting there. And all his wickedness. And all those who are loyal to him. Because remember, when he's persecuting, once he comes back as person, he's persecuting those who don't accept him as their God, as, as their Lord. So basically, he's going to be persecuting the Christians and those Jews that come to, to receive Christ. All right, so the great city Babylon is further confirmed as Jerusalem in at least the following three ways. Number one, this would not be the first time that Israel was referred to as Sodom. So let's turn to Isaiah chapter 1. I think we went there already, but uh, we're going to read some different verses. Yes, Isaiah chapter 1, beginning at verse 10. So now we know that this is Isaiah, obviously. So, verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and fat of fed cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand to tremble my courts? Bring no more futile sacrifices, incense, is an abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies, I cannot endure iniquity and the sacred meeting. Your new moons 
and your appointed feasts my, my soul hates. They are, they are a trouble to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear you. I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. So they were doesn't sound like they were serving God here, does it? No. no, not at all. Okay? So here they're being compared, like I said earlier in verse 10, to Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay? So, just like we just read, so so John evokes the names of two of Israel's oldest enemies, Sodom and Gomorrah, in, in Revelation. Alright, so point number two. John describes the great city using the imagery of a harlot. Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Hosea referred to Israel as a harlot in their day. Why? Because they weren't faithful to God. See, Israel was in a covenant relationship with God, but they broke that covenant. God remained faithful to them, but they didn't remain faithful. Alright, so number three. John sees... The harlot, Babylon the Great, filled with the blood of prophets and apostles. So, I'm going to read Revelation. You don't have to turn it. Y'all can turn to Matthew So, in uh, Matthew 18, verse 24, And in her was found the blood of prophets and saints and all who were slain on the earth. So, he's talking about Babylon here. Alright, so we're in Matthew 23, uh, verse 29. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous, and say, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Therefore, you are witnesses against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up, then, the measure of your father's guilt, serpents broad of vipers. How can you escape the condemnation of hell? Therefore, indeed, I send you prophets, wise men, and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will scourge in your synagogues, and persecute from city to city. This again is going back to uh, Paul in the early church. Alright, verse 35. That on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah. I read this verse earlier, but I'm reading it again. Whom you murdered between the temple and altar. Assuredly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. In all this we see that a terrible thing has happened to Jerusalem. So, again... Jerusalem was God's dwelling place, but Jerusalem, the people within Jerusalem, the religious leaders within Jerusalem had a habit of doing evil, had a habit of tormenting, torturing, abusing God's people. So, uh, Revelation 18 and 2 says this, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. With God having abandoned Jerusalem as his dwelling place, was he then without a dwelling place of his own? Not at all. See, we will see that God has chosen as his dwelling place the new Jerusalem, the community of saints who abide in his son, Jesus. 
So it's like I talked about, and I think I said this after service, that God is not dwelling in a land anymore. He's dwelling in his people now. So there are other things. I just wanted to condense this, and I know I've probably gone fast. I just did that for time's sake because I want to get to prayer. But there are other scriptures and things, and maybe I'll come back later on down the line um, and teach them because there are a lot more scripture references for, for this as well. But, you know, it's not about us protecting Israel itself. You know, we, we're, we're getting off track on what God intended. And, and that is, you know, as his Christians, as his people, his children, his saints, for us now to be Israel. Like I said, we don't take the place of the Israel, the people, you know, but... We are God's people. We are his temple. He abides in us now. And it's like I said, Saturday, wherever we go, he goes. He's not confined to one place. And see, yes, when Jesus comes back in the millennium, he is going to reign in, uh, in Jerusalem. And you have to wonder, you know, Jerusalem is a special place. But the people there have turned their backs on God. People there have turned away from Jesus. You know, even when Jesus, you know, when you do your research, when Israel was established as a nation, you know, it was predominantly Christian back then. It was a point where it was like 80%. Now it's like 20% or less there now. And we have to wonder how it got that way. You know, um, where, where did we go wrong? And like I said, all the atrocities that are going on over there and the church is not speaking about it. So we're just as culpable as they are because what do we say over here? Well, if things go on over here and, you know, about social justice and things like that, if you're not speaking about it, well, you know, what, what's the difference? We're not speaking about it. And I know that there's been Christians that have gone over there and seen things and they just overlook it not talking about it, not getting the truth, because we're not going to get the truth on the news media. Remember, this country has always supported Israel for the most part. Regardless of what a president in office has said, they always have supported Israel. And, and we always say, well, that's why God blesses us as a nation, because we support Israel. I can promise you, God is not pleased with the things that are going on over there. Because if we're talking about the sin that's in this country, trust me, Israel is just as bad, if not worse, than the United States. You know, we can't condone those things just because they have the name Israel on it. But we have to be obedient and do what the Word says in this and, and not get caught up in the manipulation of the church, really. The church. We can't get caught up in the manipulation. And, and I challenge you all to do your own research on it. And, and, it's, and it's really sad when you look at it, what, what's going on. And I'm not trying to say that all the Christian and Palestinians over there on the up and up and things like that. Because And then you have Christian Jews over there as well that are doing right. And there are people over there, there are Americans over there that are trying to do right, trying to help keep the churches open, keep them in, because they recognize that there's a need over there. And like I said, there are Muslims over there that are coming to the Lord in droves. And you have to wonder how the Muslims are coming to the Lord over there, but the Jews are not. Mm. That doesn't make any sense mm. because the church is looking the other way. Mm. The church as a whole is looking the other way. We're
we're funding them, they're funding us, and things like that. Some of their weapons they get from us, and this is what some of the Christians over there, especially Palestinian Christians, they're thinking the church is supporting that, wondering how in the world can you support that when we're your own brothers and sisters in Christ over here, and we're the ones getting bombed on and things like that. You know, there are wrongs on both sides. Just like there's rights on both sides. You know, but we can't look at things one way just because it's Israel. Because guess what? That person over there that's in charge, they're not born again. <laughs> they're not born again at all. So we just have to be mindful of that. And like I said, I will challenge you all to do your research. And it is funny because I got two envelopes this week from Christian organizations saying to support the Jews over there. And I'm sorry, I don't give another dime to them. We, we have given to them before, but because you, something's not right. Like I said, I haven't been over there, but I have seen enough already and read enough that something's not right. And it, and it starts with the church. And I'm not blaming Israel, I'm blaming the church. And I'm blaming the American church for that. Um, so, yeah, so I'll stop here. Amen.